0: Trauma. It's a word that you've probably heard thrown around quite a bit, but what is trauma really? My name is Shanna White, but you can call me Shan. I'm a psychologist and defining trauma is a pretty big part of my day-to-day life, but my job goes beyond providing a dictionary description of what trauma is, because that's just the tip of the iceberg, as they say. No, my job is to define trauma, to highlight its impacts, and most importantly, to help those who've lived through it to figure out how to thrive beyond it. I've spent years working with children, adolescents, and adults, trying to guide them through the process of recovering from complex trauma. Needless to say, I've seen and heard a lot, and now you will too. But first, a trigger warning. This podcast deals with some pretty heavy topics, including domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness, crimes against children, self-harm, sexual abuse, multi-generational trauma and suicide. If you don't think you're in the right headspace to deal with any of these topics right now, please cut yourself some slack, take a deep breath and come back another day. I'll be here. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and elders on all the lands on which we work and meet. I appreciate the significant place Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders hold and I identify them as the first Australians. I value and celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history, culture and future and am committed to supporting reconciliation through speaking the truth, pursuing justice and creating opportunities to heal together. I pay my deep respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders, past and present, and acknowledge all Aboriginal children, young people, families, and staff who I provide services to now and in the future. I embrace and commit to the spirit of work and self determination, empowerment, and reconciliation.
1: The Trauma Tower started as a little passion project to entertain me during lockdown, but it's turned into something so much more than I ever could have imagined. I'm the host, the producer, the admin, marketing, content developer, social media manager and designer. I could sell the Trauma Towers, but that would mean that the anonymity of the people I interview wouldn't be as protected as it is now. See, it's only me who knows. And I swore to protect the people who share their stories with you. But that means that I don't get to take in any of the network's funds either. So to keep the trauma Tales running, I've launched a Patreon account for those of you who want more than just the regular seasons. Patreons will be entitled to discounted merch, extra content and heaps more like Q&As with me. So to help me keep this podcast going, jump on the link in the show notes and make a one-time contribution or a monthly subscription so I can keep sharing these stories with you and protect those who honour us with their tales. Welcome back to the Trauma Tales, everybody. I'd love to introduce you to a friend of mine.
2: This is Arnie Debbie. Welcome to the podcast, Arnie Debbie. Hello, darling. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Actually, I should say guinea gay. (laughs) Guinea
1: gay. That's right. You taught me that
2: word. Thank you. You've been teaching me lots
1: of different words. So let's just dive straight on in. Tell me a little bit about a time where you experienced trauma.
2: Oh, there's been many, multitude times in my life that I've experienced trauma. So, you know, you could sit there and say from when I was born, I was actually born into trauma, as in I got very sick as a baby. So um, when I got sick, I got flown off to um, hospital in a helicopter, which I don't remember because I was so little, but because my parents, because the hospital didn't listen to my parents, Mm -hmm. um, And eventually I got so sick with pneumonia, whooping cough, and we're not sure whether it was the measles or the mumps. My mum kind of has a a memory, so I almost died. So that was my first trauma in my life. And then when I was um, a little girl, about four, I was molested by somebody that the family knew because I would stay over at their place. Um, So I got molested several times. Every time I had a toothache, they would say, let me rub you there, and it's like really like and even at four i kind of knew that it was wrong i remember the outfit that i was in so not knowing who that person is is always going to sit in the back of my memory um then you know like i was really close with my grandfather my grandfather lived with us and Mm -hmm. like i there's also special little positive ones in the in the in the way but i just always remember these traumatic ones then i was we had decided to move to uh New South Wales from Queensland because my grandfather was not well. Um, so, when we did that, we left our home and we used to move every two years from school to school. Now, you might not think that's any difference, but for a little school kid, mm. like I'd be waiting. But I was lucky enough that my school friend, my best friend through school would rock up. Like she'd walk through the same high school school as me. So, I was kind of always okay because I didn't have to make – new friends but you know i'd always wait for margaret thompson to come through the door and say hey (laughs) you know so it's kind of like this this thing that happens and then so we packed up and we left and we moved to new south wales but i remember when i was about nine so that was in about 1979 so in about 1979 1980 unsure of the year i just know that where we lived um My father one night came home drunk and my my parents became really, really bad in domestic violence. Um, There was also more times actually in Queensland where my family were fighting and the domestic violence came out. I saw my mother being thrown into a coffee table and shattered the coffee table in her back and I'd remember walking streets um to say no mummy, don't get in the car and I remember my dad's white Holden Premier you know like and go don't get in the car let's go let's go I remember my mum telling me stories how I'd been running away since I was two you know I'd always have when I moved to even New South Wales I'd have a suitcase packed um with a knife fork and a spoon no food no nothing but as long as I had a knife fork spoon plate and a cup I was right you're ready I was ready to go you know (laughs) (laughs) um so it's just like you know, and then you have 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 that, and of course we didn't have a lot of money, so we always we always my dad always made sure we had um, um, like food on the table and veggie patches and gardens, and my dad was obsessed with having nice gardens. It was one of his things, and now I know how appropriate that is today. But yeah, about eight, nine, ten, I was molested by my own father. And um, I climbed into a bed with uh, my little sister. My, My big sister was laying next to me. She doesn't remember it. My big, I climbed into my little sister, like she's five years younger than me, and she'd wet the bed, but I climbed in there to stay the night just so that my father couldn't get back at me. I really don't think my father was in a headspace of where he was at. I'd also seen my father come home from the club during this time where my, one of my cousins had shoved a glass in his throat, and I remember seeing him with um, massive blood um, you know and mum going off I'd seen um, also the time where my mum continually chose my um, dad over us all the time um, Where my sister domestic
1: violence space
2: in the domestic violence space but when I talk about that there's as I got older I can learn that there was two sides of domestic violence there's one side which is the psychological fighting kitting type thing and I've seen some horrible things where we've had no electricity but we had ways to get around that you know my parents were very always you know we 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 didn't need electricity when we had a wood stove we didn't need electricity when we had an old uh, boiler down the back you know a copper as they call it we didn't need electricity because our you know lots of different things So we were able to get by without electricity. You know, we had lots of candles. You know, we did really good. My dad even worked away to power a battery and and a television, you know, kind of thing, like super clever like that. But, you know, that's the kind of lifestyle. Sometimes we'd have electricity, sometimes we wouldn't. So we didn't dismiss it. We just thought it was a fun time, you know, as kids. But um, but also my mum would hold the money. So my mum had the money. So how can they go out drinking if my mum holds money? (laughs) But my mum wouldn't. So my mum wouldn't – so she'd still go out with my dad and my my brother and sister still believed that it was always my dad controlling my mother. And I said, but if mum had control of the money, how can she control – she can control the situation and say, we haven't got enough, go home. But she was always down the club. We learnt how to hang out at the club and play pokies from the age of, say, 10, 11, you know, or we'll – pubs and clubs and stuff like that we're probably even younger when we're in Queensland but I do remember the New South Wales location mm. quite a lot and um, and said home and we used to sit by our older sister taking care of us you know and I think at the time she's only two years older than me so 13 maybe she was maybe 13 12 13 taking care of all four of us um, uh, there were just so many Um the time my dad held a double barrel shotgun to my mum's head and taught us how to actually clean reload load the barrel shot. We've never shot it, but, and it was a sawn off double barrel shotgun. And we'd seen that in our, in our lives, you know? So knowing that was there, we'd always freak out then when dad would drink, you know, like let's hide. So we'd, we'd get used to hiding th- stuff like the knives, the weapons, the guns. Um, but you know, him coming home and having that done was also very scary because it's our dad. Our dad was also would make us go to the beach and like do worming and fishing. So always had a way to make sure that we weren't just um, weren't just the way we were. Then when I was what was the next trauma? Then when I was 15, I finally told my mother because I'd got sick of the abuse, left, right and center. So I finally told my mother and she called me nothing but a little liar, a slut all kinds of things and that I'm lying and it's not true. You went
1: to your mum to say, Um, my dad's been, dad's been abusing me. I need your help. Yeah. He abused me
2: once. He abused me once. He never got to me again, but it was like from that moment, it's yeah. And my mum said, you're a liar and you're this and you're that. And I'm like, because she's going, you know, you've got to behave yourself because when dad comes home, we don't want to be angry at him. I used to have to study by the hall light, you know, because they didn't like us going to school, you know. So I would sit there and have to study at school during my lunch hour. It's like school was my safe space. People talk about it, but it was like Mm. school was my safe space. Yeah. And um, so from 15, 16, I started going to school counsellor and I said, how do I get out of here? 17, I ran away. Tried to run away, found me in hours because you know we're not very smart at that age. <laughs> we, we think we are, but we we're think not. we are. We're not. We're, we're dumb not as bricks, but we think we're amazing. Yep. But then eventually, in, in my last year in high school, in my last HS year, I just said, "Nah, I'm, I'm, I'm done, and I need to get through this last year." They've all along they said, "Don't grow up like me. Don't grow up like me." So I left. I got the cops, and I left, and I found a foster parents, and I put myself into out of home care when I was seventeen. So, um, wow. Yeah. So I said, no, I'm not doing this. And so, and I told my sister, so I copped abuse and I've always had abuse then from my family from that moment forward. And when I say abuse, I mean, my younger sister and brother, you know, have always like held me accountable because I've caused them trauma, which I understand. Like I'm not silly, but um, yeah. And then I left and I moved to moved to my my carers but then of course you know I was young carefree I was able to go where I want long as I told them where I want you know so kind of went a little bit crazy and you know like I was active sexually active at that stage so you know that kind of your brain goes differently where when you get to that stage but I was always very honest with my carers but just did the wrong thing you know not knowing what was inappropriate in someone's house and what wasn't kind of thing and yeah it was kind of weird and then of course my first heartbreak you know like people say oh heartbreak it's just you know just move on but my first heartbreak my we first kind of play boyfriend now don't we? we kind of yes. go
1: oh first love oh puppy love that's really cute it's actually hugely traumatic
2: well my first one because I you know I had boyfriends but like not my first true love mm. um and he was his parents the way that we ended my my foster carers knew who we were and I was in, you know, I was like an hour up the road. Like and I told my foster parents where I was. I gave them the number of where I was staying. I gave them everything. But this was my first encounter of, uh, which I didn't know at the time, um, was um, ra- finest racism at its first <laughs> and finest. Um because they told me that I was nothing but a slut, that I was nothing but a little liar. How dare I make our son, their son lie to them? And I said, your son lied to you. I didn't lie to my foster parents. They knew where we were. You rang them and knew where we were. So you knew that that's where we were, but yet you're still abusing me and calling me the little liar. So, and they're saying, yeah. And then I found out years later that, that they're actually completely racist and they just didn't want me to go out with their son. And so therefore they'd had to actually stereotyped me. And I didn't know that at the time. I just thought it was just, you know, this is what it was. But I didn't find out until later when he we were actually able to talk about it. But he wanted to then go out with my good friend. And it's like it's kind of this weird thing. It's like for me seeing the arguments between my mum and dad over the years because of their relationship going um my dad's cheating because he had another family like he my dad's got another family my mum has so whoa.
1: whoa pause your dad has a whole other family
2: three my dad's got three lots of women that he's had children with four we don't know what the fourth one but there's four yeah so I'm one of nine I'm one on four in my household then the first family is one and she's passed away now Then my other family is three. There's another family of three. And then there is another one in between me and my sister. Yeah, that's that's fun.
1: Oh, oh my God. How how did you find this out? How did you we've always known?
2: We've always grown up with them. It's not something that you think. It's just that this other woman was so obsessed with my dad that would always try and come crawling to get him back and So it's a really hard thing when you don't have parental programs out there, helping families navigate the system. Do you know what I mean? Back then in the 80s, I'm talking about back in the 80s, Mm -hmm. 1980s that is. I know it's kind of weird saying that. But (laughs) so, so yeah, so, and my mum, my mum's, my mum's child, my mum, my older sister that lives with us, she's my mum's child because she had another relationship. So, yeah, I know it gets kind of confusing when you start to, You'd have to
1: sort of, we'd have to kind of do like a, a proper genogram to kind of figure this out. So,
2: yeah.
0: This episode of the trauma tales is brought to you by cognitive behavioral education, providing training and supervision for people working with people who experience trauma. If you work with people, you know, how challenging it can be sometimes and how you can end up having the wrong end of someone's day or having to deal with their trauma. CBE's training and supervision services can upskill and support you and your team to manage, de-escalate and thrive in these situations. For more information, go to www.cbe.net.au.
1: You mentioned earlier about your dad having veggie patches and gardening. Why was that so prevalent? Because that stood out to me when you said that.
2: Um, Because... They didn't because you know uh shouldn't really swear, but I'm just saying because he still had swear. Okay, because so he fucked up, you know, like he would fuck up, he would like you know, the party mood. You'd get in the party mood and you know, you drink a little bit too much. So he always made sure that there was food. He always made sure that there was, you know, sometimes there wasn't, but he would make sure that like the garden thing is both one first of all, is actually cultural because we would have had gardens even back in the day. My grandmother had gardens. They were very particular in making sure that their gardens and the areas were nice. That's what he was taught through our family. And also, number two, my dad's always had veggie patches to grow these vegetables so that we could always have food at the, yep, and also ensuring that um, not only for food, but also food for the community so like my dad would make sure that if anyone one of our families come along that that they would eat you know like we would yeah. have food to share so it wasn't just for us it was always for other people as well like yeah. we, my, we were brought up that way very much so that what we had we had to share with people You know, like we never went to school or anything, but like school about this or Sunday school or anything. This is just how my dad was growing up and how he taught us. And same same with my mum. She would do the same. Like she would be out in the garden with my dad. When I say my dad, it would be my mum and dad. Um, And they would be, it would even go worming. Like, you know, so we'd go and catch the fish. Um, so, but then from the fish, we'd use the bones. We'd use the bones, and then go and put it into burley. Or a fish that wasn't supposed to be caught, but it we killed it, would go into say burley, like a, and the burley would be then used for the for the to go catch the worms. The burly. worms. Burley is this uh, all the scraps that you put into a bag, like an onion bag, say, and mm-hmm. you attach a stick to it, and from the stick you actually then put you actually then go like this in the bottom in the ocean in yeah. the tides, and then these little worms come up with really. With teeth in the sand and come on in link, come out, and then you would have like uh, your little bit of uh, burley or your little bit of, I forget the name of it at the moment, but a little bit of thing in the hand. And as the worm would come up, you would just try and catch it at, oh, wow. at its head. And sometimes the worm would bite you because, like, people don't realize. But anyway, it's a sea worm. And so then we would use the worm to go fishing with. So then it starts the whole cycle. So I was really lucky to have that grow up with that whole cycle.
1: Yeah, yeah, of, that's beautiful
2: of 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 life and knowing that and like growing up with also having not a flushable toilet is pretty good to know <laughs> no and there's a reason why the hydrangea out the back used to change color <laughs> in the middle of the night <laughs> might have been the acid might not have God, been the acid. baby <laughs> who, who
1: knows so you found out about your culture you weren't sort of raised enmeshed in it you sort of learned more about it as you
2: we knew we were aboriginal we didn't know that we were different does that make sense like we just thought we were just like everybody else so we just we didn't see it being any different to anybody else it's not until I hit year six um year six in the in the small school that I went to of 32 kids in the whole school <laughs> oh wow that is little um so it wasn't until about year six then I started getting teased about being aboriginal and, you know, like we didn't see colour of skin. We'd never been taught – because we've, we've hung around black fellas. We've hung around white fellas. we hung around Dutch people. We've hung around, you know, like all these different colours of people. So we didn't see colour of skin. And it wasn't until we moved to a small country town that then it all of a sudden became a prevalent type thing to people. But to us, mm-hmm. it was just like we're just people, you know. But I never – I never realised half the stuff because my dad didn't grow us up to say you're Aboriginal, be black, be proud, be 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 like that. It's not, you know, he at the same time he kind of did, but it wasn't like it wasn't like you you go out and go oh you deadly. No, we, we kind of didn't get that kind of growing up. My dad would always grow us up in a way that kind of. He would make a joke, a racist joke, so that we wouldn't be so affected by it, so we wouldn't take offence to it so much, so we wouldn't react to it as much. It was kind of like a desensitising thing for him, uh-huh. and he'd say, white follows are silly. Like, he'd occasionally say it, but we weren't aware that we were, like, Aboriginal until i like, hit high school, and then it became really aware, and... Um, of course going into teenagers because i suppose you know your parents don't want to grow up to be racist towards people you know so they didn't want us to be racist to people cuz like my mum's white so yeah so why would we see any of the color my my family on my on my mum's side you know white you know so ultimately like we just love people my dad always loved people like always so mm. it was kind of weird to have all of a sudden this effect of you're aboriginal yeah so so, you know, but I never never got it, never really understood it until and you'd hear dad tell stories of how they ran away from welfare. But I I suppose being being looking at me being ADHD now and all kind of on the spectrum is you sit there and think, well, that's probably also my not so aware, if you know what I mean, yeah. like a not so processing I needed processing time or whatever but yeah. when I got to high school I really noticed my sister didn't want nothing to do with this called me uptown all these kind of things I couldn't sit with the, some of the Koori kids they thought I wasn't Aboriginal but I was dark as like I don't understand how they didn't think I was Aboriginal.
1: <laughs> so the, the Aboriginal children at the school didn't accept you as Aboriginal because Not you were school. raised in that enmeshed in culture in the way that they had been. Yeah. So you experience racism from your own culture? Lateral violence, yes. Lateral violence, okay. Tell me about
2: lateral violence. Lateral violence is because it's just that it's your lack of awareness and it's prejudice, racism. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, we're just all people. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to sit there and say we have a beautiful culture and it needs to be shared. And the thing is, is they had lack of understanding because we grew up in a in a different place. My dad didn't want us to grow up in like the mission. He wanted us to grow up differently. We've lived in caravan parks, you know, kind of thing. Like with six people in a ten birth caravan, you know, six six ten people sometimes in a ten in a, ten ber- a six berth caravan with no annex in the middle of the showground with a paedophile that was living there, which my dad never knew. Thought he was a great person, this old Wally, but Wally was a paedophile. Uh, so yeah yeah so that was another trauma so (laughs) but it's really hard for people to understand to say oh but you knew oh yeah we're black and proud I learned to paint you know from different cousins but my dad didn't teach us everything about culture he wouldn't teach us and go oh that tree would do this he didn't deliberately go out of the way we just lived a life like as in you know let's have a garden let's 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 cook let's go you kids go to school you kids come home whatever like it was so like, had when you went to
1: school and you experienced the racism from well, other Aboriginal people, had you experienced racism from from white people as well?
2: Yeah, when it was in year six, yeah. when they discovered I was Aboriginal. But my brother and sister didn't get this. I don't know how or why I got it. I have no idea. I still have no recollect recollect yeah, that word. <laughs> Recollection. Yep, I'm with yeah. you. <laughs> Um, that I have no, no understanding of why uh, then all of a sudden I was different. We had Italians. My friends were Italians and they were in the school and they never got anything, like nothing. But I don't understand. It might have been just the boys thing, you know, boys, girls at that age kind of get a bit curious or whatever. But I'll so always you, remember it.
1: So you experience more like that lateral racism that you sort of talking about. So would that be, for example... Natural violence
2: is only in between communities. So it's only in your community. So in, like, for instance, um, if you're in the uh, okay. So if you're African, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's it's when you're African against African. That's lateral because it's the same level, lateral. Yeah, we call it violence because it's like you're attacking the same people from your mob. Does that make sense? So if so, as a woman, I'm
1: feminist. If I, okay, so I've heard women say things about victims of sexual violence um, and say instead of, you know, they're a victim of of rape or sexual assault, they've had buyer's remorse, for example, or, you know, victim blame the actual woman. Would that be a lateral violence? Because it's a woman, uh, not lateral violence. um, Might
2: be, but I'd have to really go into the big definition of it. Usually, you know, lateral violence through cultural ways cultural through cultural societies. So to so, be someone could, who identifies
1: on the same level.
2: Yeah, so it's Aboriginal versus Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander versus Torres Strait Islander, Aboriginal versus Torres Strait Islander, or it could be even other POCs or Indigenous or BIPOC, you know. So it's usually from the BIPOC community. That's probably a better right. way to say it. So, um, and it's from other ones. So it's when they call, it's kind of when you sit there and say, you're putting another person down as well. So like you could be calling them a coconut or you could be calling them Inappropriate names, or you know, like, or you could be sitting there saying, Oh, you, know, you think you're all that because all of a sudden you've got now gone to uni and you think you're above everybody, kind of thing, you know, that oh. that, heart, that whole also pulling the person down. So it's like it's multi layers. I'll have to send you some information on what yeah, yeah. violence but, is.
1: Yeah, I'd be uh, really yeah. curious if it if it occurs beyond race, like if it occurs in, um, say, um, the Rainbow community, for example, or if it oh, occurs- that would
2: definitely because it's a community all on its own, so that's what I'm saying. It's, I don't just don't understand between women though, like, I just don't understand whether that would be like it's, and I'm just trying to process it in my head. And yeah, maybe yeah, it could be, it could be, um, uh, it, it, it possibly could be, I'm just not 100% sure, hmm. Hmm. which.
1: I guess brings me to you. You mentioned um, your ADHD brain, and I love that it's so like normalized in like your in language to you that you're just like, yep, that's how my ADHD brain works, and you own that space totally. But we've kind of had discussions before, and it brings us to the space about understanding neurodivergence as a, a an acquired rather than an organic. Um, uh, Yeah, so having so can we know of organic neurodivergence being people on the spectrum, people having ADHD um, at birth, they're born that way. But then also looking at acquired neurodivergence through trauma, for example, or through um, traumatic Mm -hmm. brain injury. So I I would be curious your thoughts having experienced significant trauma in childhood, like if we did your ACE scores it would probably be quite high and to how no doubt, no doubt.
2: <laughs> and to i how have to do things would... i can't do things little i have to do things big
1: <laughs> yeah. go big or go home that's right yeah
2: yeah
1: <laughs> in this gift giving season i want to introduce you to mind love they're a hamper company but with a difference so most hampers are like about flowers or wine or tokis robes and candles And these are all really lovely, but sometimes you want something more personal for the person's needs. Mindlove is a hamper company about our mental health. So you can go to the website and you can either build a hamper from scratch and put anything you like in it from a huge range of products. Or if you prefer, you can select from an already curated hamper and their products are incredible. So I actually had one made for Frankie's wife when she had surgery. It was chock full of amazingness. I selected the ultimate pamper package because she really needed some relaxation and self-care time after everything that had happened in the last few months. She loved it. She told me it was exactly what she needed. And Mind Love isn't just for adults. They have heaps of products and packages for kids and teens as well. So if you want to give something to support someone you love, show them that you hear them and that you see them and help to normalize mental health, go to mindlove.com.au That's m i n d l o v e.com.au Say hi to Jen for me, tell her I sent you mindlove.com.au all about prioritizing self-care and mental health. But how do how what your thoughts are around acquired neurodivergence through trauma, particularly childhood trauma?
2: Well funnily enough when I was working in out-of-home care I experienced going through and learning about the different traumas was really beneficial for me because instead of just allowing some person sitting on the other end of the couch <laughs> judging me, <laughs> I would sit there and, I would sit there and say that um, I actually did a research on my own, which is so important because ultimately the person sitting on could have a different bias could have a different different set of rules or set of different ethics and morals even though they've got like their own code of conduct for the industry it could be something just doesn't um doesn't resonate within them so you know ultimately it's that whole unpacking and like um I would sit there and say it's quite possible that like you know I've only been diagnosed with PTSD rather than CPTSD which I think is like really difficult again because they've only focused on the fact that I've had the uh, sexual assault. Mm-hmm. So that's for that's why they say, oh, nighttime tremors and all kinds of stuff, weird stuff. But it's like it's really hard when they sit there and they do that. Then they're not focusing on me. They're only focusing, oh, okay, tick. It's like a ticker box, like kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, like and then, of course, you develop the anxiety and depression. It just doesn't happen. But if I look back on life, I was never that kind of kid. I would sit there and say, I don't know, because ultimately I think the more traumas you get, the more you you become unstable, the more, the more you cannot regulate yourself because you think you get through it and it, you have all these, what about me's in life? Because you've got trauma upon trauma upon trauma upon trauma and you're going like, and you are going, what about me? Can someone else have this? motherfucking thing seriously why do i have to get it all can't you share it why do i have to get it all can't someone else share their fucking thing like i'm sitting there going can't you give this to Bernie or ruben or fucking someone else why am i the only one in 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 the home that had to have long hair and when i finally got enough of having knits as a kid that i needed you to cut it and then you decided to strangle me why did i have to be that child you know like why why you know like why is it you know but i in trauma or in trauma responses. You're only focusing on yourself. You can't focus on anyone else at that particular time because that's why I say do not invalidate people's traumas because you need to let them be who they are because they're the one that's lived their life. It's the same as when people sat there and judged me about um, when I didn't get the vaccine straight away, you know, like they, they, they were judging me on it but they don't know the amount of trauma in my life that can lead me to not getting it the way that I don't trust the system the way that several things in my life and not until last year did I really understand that medical system and how poorly in my life that they have done because once again being an unaware of the trauma and now I can sit back and I can go oh wow I can pin things pinpoint my things in that, and I would sit there and say, I think I'm a bit of both. I think I'm um, with the trauma that's happened, and also I probably was born with a little bit of um, on the spectrum because I can see as a kid I could hardly socialise. I could hardly go, and I would, I couldn't feel comfortable. I would go around, and I would make everybody. I would give everybody for Christmas. I was since mm. I was a little girl, you know, go and buy tw- five cent lifesavers. Five cent lifesavers. Can I just say? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Two wow. Four- Two That's, for one cent, two, five for one cent lollies, you know, back in the day in my Aunty day. honey Deb, honey
1: just... Deb, you're giving away our age, babe.
2: Shh. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, remember I just getting think the that little there's multiple white, remember
1: the little tiny little white bags that you get. They're about this big. But size of my head and they'd just be like a a lucky dip of lollies and they were like 10 cents each and they were always in
2: a plastic tub on the counter so you'd have to give them your 10 cents and they oh my god it was so exciting we still have those little white bags in certain shops around here and it's like when i see them and i go two dollars holy things have changed (laughs) (laughs) bloody inflation you
1: reminded me actually like talking about getting the vaccine so i was so I've always really struggled getting my kids vaccinated. Like I've always done it, but like just emotionally, I've really struggled with it. And I've always been very, very um, tentative around my children, around it. I've always talked to them about this is what's going to happen. And I'd get really upset by it. And I could never understand why it, because it never bothered me getting needles or about Like I've got a sleeve tattoo. Like needles don't really bother me. But I was, I was, and I made a TikTok about this, but I was on the phone to my mother. Uh, about the vaccine and she was asking me if I was going to get my daughter who was six at the time vaccinated and I went well if yeah if they're able to yes absolutely and I then I had to explain her to her but then she was telling me a story about when I was a little girl and I was four and she took me to the doctor to get my vaccinations and I fought because I didn't want to have a needle and what she told me next, like I was driving when I was on the phone to her and I actually had to pull over because I was so upset. I could feel my heart start racing. I wanted to be sick. And she was telling me this story about how the doctor went into the waiting room and got two strangers, two men, strangers, to come in the room. And all four of them held me down and pulled down my pants and put gave me the jab in my backside while I was screaming hysterically. And I was, I was having a panic attack, at well, a, not a panic attack, an anxiety attack on the side of the road as my mother's telling me this story. and But as she's telling me, she was laughing that this was funny. And I got it. Like I actually fucking got it why my kids having vaccinations is such a trigger for me. Why do I get upset about them having it but not me? I don't get upset about me having a vaccination. I get upset about them having vaccinations. Not that they don't. Like, I take them for all their vaccinations, of course, but it's going in there. I'm feeling anxious. I feel my heart racing. I feel sick. I don't sleep the night before. They get upset for the moment. Like, my daughter actually doesn't. Since she's been about two years old, like, she doesn't care. She'll watch it go in and go, oh, that's interesting. Um, but it's hugely triggering for me. mm mm-hmm. so Yeah, and I'm, I absolutely. It was that moment where I went, holy shit. Mm-hmm. That's you you did that to me and you thought that was funny. And now I know why. Like I finally at 38 get it. That's why.
2: Yeah, and it's that's the understanding of, of like sitting back and looking at it. I also remember a time like and like it's almost like it's really good having trauma and ADHD because all of a sudden you start to now, knowing that I've got it. Like I, you know, still waiting for the diagnosis on the on, on the spectrum. They told me I had it, but then they haven't put it on my file. So it's like it's really frustrating because it can explain heaps to everybody. Mm. But anyway, <laughs> but knowing that I've had it, I can look back on my career on certain things and go, Well, that's why I've acted that way. Like, you know, like I have acted that way. That's why I'm um, the Uh, obstinate child or i'll just go off half cocked at some points because that's my reaction to things and it's like being able to pinpoint things in my life and going you know like as we know people on the spectrum are always very aware and they're also very very acutely aware of their surroundings and what's going on and they're they can't handle um they can't handle conflict going on around them you know like they just can't it just doesn't go, it just doesn't go well. And they kind of like freak out. They hide underneath the bed. They put pillows over their head and, you know, but that's also trauma. So it's like, it's hard to distinguish. But if I look back on my life, like I have this natural process of setting myself up and this could be trauma as well. Like I said, it's really hard and that's probably why they'd find it really hard. But I will go from one group. Okay, I'm here, protect myself. Then go to another group of friends. I'm here, how you going? See them for a while. Then go to another group of friends. I'm here and and I have all these group of friends and never the twines shall meet. Yes. Because oh my goodness. Yes. Same. Because it's like they do know each other, but it's like it's almost like your sacred circle of people that you have and that they're all in different positions for a reason. If you end up having a disagreement and argument and you kind of put a little bit more pressure because ADHD, um, autistic, I wear people out all the time. And it's like that then becomes a trigger again, because then it's like, a, who, it's not me. Why is it always me? Why am I always breaking people? Why? What have I done? What's wrong with me? It's not necessarily that they've also been inappropriate, because you don't aware. So I've actually started standing up for behavior when people say, you know, like they know I'm a, a depression and anxiety, and I get depressed and everything. But I've got this one friend who just kind of tells me straight out, but kind of tells me inappropriately. So I had enough of it. And I just turned around the other week and I said to her, do you know what? I was two days late for your birthday. I'm apologizing for being two days late for your birthday. But you have no idea my headspace that I'm in. I'm so sorry that you feel like this. Please don't have a go at me because you have no idea how bad it is for me right now. Mm. Yeah." I'm trying my best, and you by ringing you to wish you goodwill on your birthday, and you're being horrible towards me. And they're like, "But it's my birthday." And I went, "Yeah, I understand it's your birthday, and I know. Look, I miss you know." My, you apologise, your birthday's next week, and it's like, and do you think? And so they sent me a text message. They didn't even ring me, and I thought, okay, fine, whatever. And but I also heard them say that I don't ring them when I'm happy, so I also listened to them. So I rang when I'm happy, and then the first thing they do is when they ring up. I ring up and they go, oh, what's wrong? And it's like this is why I don't ring people when I'm sad anymore because of that sort of attitude. I just ring them when I'm happy because it's easier to do do it like that than it is because that way I don't share people, I don't share feelings, I don't get this crap coming at me, I can just pretend and mask. And it's horrible because people don't understand it. People don't understand that you react in different ways. Like I can't handle someone coming at me at 100 miles an hour off or something. Mm-hmm. Like the reason I started my, my my account was simply because I wanted to be able to handle the criticism that's going to come from academia working in, this, in the world that I work in. So I needed to handle it and what better than to handle being attacked by trolls. <laughs> yeah, I know it's kind of weird, but I'm just saying it's kind of set you up for it. But you know, like throwing these yourself are-
1: to the wolves almost. So <laughs> if I can deal with that, I can deal with academia. Because you're right, academia is it's, it's it's brutal, it's savage. It is. It is. Yeah, absolutely savage. They eat their young. They are horrible to each other, and they. The irony, like I, I still struggle with this irony. The irony, because obviously, I my if my area is around mental health and psychology. I once knew someone who was a researcher for a positive psychology area and their whole area was positive psychology and they were so traumatised by the in-house bullying because they were so awful to each other. And I I literally sat there going, I feel like my head's going to explode with the irony, just the sheer irony of this. But you're absolutely right. Academia is savage absolutely yeah, like, savage
2: and I I refused to back down of who I am as a person because my dad even tested me on this like my dad through my life probably put me through many tests many 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 tests like he you know like he could be he was the devil in some ways but in other ways I found him as the angel and I know that's kind of weird thinking but you know, the test that he put me through, like um, get up and smile every day, get up and go on. Like we've had a fight, we've had an argument, but you need to get up and move. You know, these kind of tests, and that's both my mum and dad, I should say. I shouldn't just say dad. But, um, but you know, while my mum my was depressed in the bedroom, which we found, I've worked out that later on in life that that's what she was, he'd be up cooking breakfast every day. It was my dad up cooking for us. It wasn't my mum. It was my dad you know, cooking us and making sure we had breakfast. You know, my mum would be in bed until late, much later. You know, so these are the things people don't realise, but when you can look at it and distance yourself from the trauma that they, that your parents or your family caused you and actually look at the scenario and who was there and who did what, because I can hate my dad and I did for a lot of years hate him. And I put even special rules in when meeting my family and saying, look, if I'm coming up home um, for a visit, like when I moved to Sydney, I said, like, if I'm coming up home, then you guys need to ha- not drink or you can drink light beers. I don't need your crap around me kind of thing you know mm. and and people were sat there and said you're amazing, not very many people. And I just said, no, I just had to protect myself. But I never realised how much important that was. And everyone would sit there and say, you're so unfair to mum and dad. You make them feel like criminals. And and I'm sitting there going, but I need to feel safe. You're not the one this happened to you. You're not the one that got molested. You're not the one that got choked out by your mother, you know, by your own hair. You're not the one who copped abuse. You're not the one who had thongs thrown at you. You're not that one. I was that one. You're not the one that wanted them to fail at school and continued. You're not the one who had to actually ask your mother to put goal achievement things in place for me a brother and sister so that we could achieve in school so that we could get out and be different to what they told us to be Mm. so therefore this is the stuff that I sit there and say so therefore you have to look at it and go well hang on then what goes on for them and it wasn't until I was 40 that I actually worked in worked for out-of-home care and aged care that I really started learning about some of these things because there is no real program that teaches you. I mean, TikTok can be used as a, as a way of being able to educate people to show that this is what it looks like, this is what depression and anxiety, this is what this looks like, and a way to address the people that don't necessarily pick up a book all the time or want to. or And like a lot of places around the world are actually told traditionally orally what is wrong with me getting up on a platform and speaking to them and letting them know as an oral tradition to continue the story but you know you get people saying you don't need to give them an education and I go yeah but there might be one person that might need even if it's just one so which brings me to how you've moved
1: your life into a space to learn and and heal from trauma by what you're doing so tell me about what you're doing at uni now
2: I'm studying linguistics because for years my dad as I said there there's still many many traumas on top of what you've already heard but I'm just saying but my dad ultimately learned language and I remember this quite clearly in this little two-bedroom unit with six of us living in it um, and just hearing myself talk about some of this stuff I never realized like how far my parents tried to keep us safe, like in other ways, even though they were keeping us unsafe, but they tried their best. And that's what I try and tell people, like your parents do try their best in the in the, in the the worst possible solutions, but they never gave out to, they weren't, they wouldn't help people all the time and taught yeah. me even to go up to the road and help old Ruby up the road to earn money so I could bring a mulberry pie home for my family. You know what I mean? Like kind of let's work together to try and get this to happen. It's that do do as best as you can
1: until you know or have better and then do better. So it's like coming up the ladder. So you do as best you can when you're down the bottom and if you can get up to the next rung then you can do as best you can up there. And it's like the the Maya Angelou, that you know you what is it you um when you know better, do better. But if you don't yeah. know better, you can't do better. But it's when it's when we hate people for when they didn't know better. Yeah, no, but back I,
2: yeah, absolutely. So my, I I sit there and I have a, um, so at uni, I'm studying linguistics, right? So, and I'm studying to learn and I'm learning five years ago, I decided to learn Karang. And um, that's the language of the people where I live. And I loved it because I thought this is a way for me to learn my language, you know, because you know, you look at Aboriginal languages, and it looks like some sort of foreign thing because your brain is colonised. And this is what I will talk about: your colonised brain, because you're only learning certain subjects. It's like anybody that doesn't understand trauma—that's they're not—they colonised brains because ultimately they're not wanting to learn that people that have got an addiction or people like that have got have got something don't know. So ultimately, these are the things that we look at. And so when I learn my culture, learn about my language, in my language teaches me about a culture. So at linguistics, I'm actually learning not just mine but others through language. And it's so important to reconnect to it because all of a sudden you find your history. Mm. And where you come from and where you belong and how to connect. Like you find all these things that you know. And it's really hard to explain that to people, but That's yeah,
1: beautiful. So mm. you you teach me. Well, I remember we did it like a live on TikTok together, and you are talking to my daughter, and you were teaching her words, and she was loving it. So she says guinea gate
2: now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Now you've got the uh, da, the the app. You can uh, download the Darwell app, and you can actually teach them that language i did a tiktok on it i thought oh, you'd love i even i, I thought i would take it in it yeah i even I thought i looked. tagged you in it this is ages ago but yeah there is an app now that you can actually download the um the Dawa language and um yeah it's pretty cool <laughs> I that's think, amazing um, yeah so because aboriginal languages have got so much history in them it's not funny it's like really funny and my dad used to when he used to get in this two-bedroom unit drinking he used to actually say this word when he was drunk and then he told me how he got taught language but he refused to teach us so that we wouldn't move forward like he wouldn't we wouldn't be reprimanded for it if we were out probably talking it. So yeah. therefore he didn't teach us but he used to always say this word and I always remember and I used to remember the fight I used to have with him. How dare you do that to us you you allowed the white man to win, and that's what I said. Like, and here I am, still not aware of what being Aboriginal meant, other than we are Aboriginal. Here I am saying it and saying it back to him like that. And I look back at that conversation and go, Wow, I was a strong little girl standing up to my father, but he still never taught us. He still never taught us.
1: Getting a tattoo can be a really intense experience. The smell is unique. The space is often exactly what our parents' greatest fears for our teen years were, and sometimes the pupil can seem intimidating. And this can make it really hard to go through getting that tattoo, especially if you've never done it before. Trauma Tats is a boutique studio where the whole experience, from the time that you call or message, to supporting you to develop your artwork, to making you feel comfortable and safe in the space, to managing big emotions that tattoos can bring to your aftercare. The whole experience is about you and meeting your needs, where you're at and making sure that the story that your tattoo is telling is nurtured and honored. With special care for those whose stories sit in the trauma space, you, your tattoo, and your story are safe with trauma tasks. If we've ever met or you've seen me online, you probably noticed that I have some tattoos. If you ask me, I'll tell you about them. My tattoos tell a story just like the ones that I share with you on the Trauma Tales. If you have a story to share or honour and want to do that in a space where you feel safe and respected, contact Trauma Tats, a professional tattoo studio, to work through what you've been through. Find them on Instagram or Facebook at Trauma Tats 1T and tell them Shan sent you. But from his point of view, he was trying to keep you safe Correct. Even though it's even though it's been uh, damaging in and of itself and it had consequences, in his mind, he was just doing the best that he could and he was trying to keep you safe because absolutely. of that, that, that racism that he experienced.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing is, is you have to, for you to deal with your own trauma, you also have to look at the people of trauma but, uh, around you. So if I sat there and looked at my mum's trauma, what she'd been through, my dad's trauma, so my dad's trauma, for him was huge like many different things but the biggest one is he was young boy birthday driving a vehicle with his mum in the car and a drunk driver hit them his mum died his brother through the, threw the window so he's had that trauma sit within him his whole life so he was the man responsible for the death of his mum in his eyes and yeah. in his in, in certain siblings eyes too and it had nothing to do with him, and it was just to do with the drunk driver. So he carried that in his body his whole life and never dealt with it.
1: And this so, is where we see that multi-generational trauma, that passing down. We don't when our parents and our parents' parents don't deal with their stuff, they give it to us, it's almost like we inherit it genetically
2: like just we become their product of their trauma we become their product of their trauma because then their trauma they inflict their trauma onto us then we get trauma so the whole idea of stopping trauma and intergenerational trauma is that you have to heal yourself and I've seen this yet again now with my brother and my sisters and their families like they're they're disconnecting and then they disconnect and disconnect and soon we will have no connections you know, yeah. in, my, in my, my four siblings because they, well, through it too, because two are Aboriginal and one's not, but she grew up with us, so that's complex in itself. Yeah. I'm trying to get people to understand that. But, um, <clears throat> but looking at it, like, ultimately, every single time we do that, we're also then disconnecting to the culture. Yeah. And, and that's what makes it really sad and that's what I'm all about is trying to get people to reconnect to the culture, reconnect to their people and have an understanding of how beautiful and wonderful it is. And hopefully to heal from the traumas. The best thing about being able to understand and watch and put your feet on the country and earth and connect and being able to be present in that moment is actually the feeling that I'm having now of talking about it. And it actually just rushes through your body and it's kind of cleansing because it's like you found your place and you know it. And no, you can't explain it to a lot of people, but when you feel it, and connect with it she just it just fills your heart it really does like I love my culture nothing can ever stop me from ever being connected to my culture that's so
1: beautiful thank you so much for coming on the podcast I'm gonna cry now stop it yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> me too <laughs> <sighs> we need to come back we can dance do now. this <laughs> it's
1: rap dance we can do it you know what I'm gonna go and stand on dharawal country where i live i live and work on dharawal country which is like well in my opinion most beautiful part of the world um thank you so much for coming on and sharing the space with me i i love talking to you and we might have to do this again because i feel like we've just scratched the
2: surface Mm, yeah there's multi-layers to it (laughs) (laughs) all right my beautiful friend thank you for coming on the podcast today thank you have a good day
0: thank you for joining me today on the trauma tales now is a good time to go and do some self-care, especially if this tale resonated for you. If you'd like to reach out to The Trauma Tales to be a sponsor of the show or to come onto the show, please email the Tales, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com.
1: This podcast is a production of Shanna White Psychology.